Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. I am Amy Bird, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Carl Truman, a professor of humanities over at Grove City College in Pennsylvania, and Todd Pruitt, pastor at Covenant Presbyterian PCA in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And today we have another alum guest uh, brave enough to come on we as you said todd haven't ruined his reputation from our first interview and i'm speaking about terry johnson he is the senior minister at the independent presbyterian church in savannah georgia and he has been there since 1987 is that right terry that's correct that's amazing praise god for that Mm -hmm. well we're here to um, or he's here today to talk to us about his book the identity and attributes of god this is um a topic that we love covering on the mortification of spin and very helpful book on the attributes of god um one distinct thing about it is and i love how you refer to the reformed protestant teachings that you are combing through while you're and resourcing through in your teaching as as treasures in the attic mm-hmm. that you have found as you were doing your own research to to preach on attributes of God. Um, and as you were talking about that in the beginning of your book, Terry, it made me think about this prayer that I love praying from the Valley of Vision where in the beginning it, it praises God and thanks God for just making man capable of religion. You know, just just being able to ask the questions about who God is. So maybe we could start off just talking about, or maybe you could answer for us, you know, what barriers have kept us from this pursuit of the study of God? Well, I think that in the American context, I think that we are, even the best of us, I think we're driven by pragmatism mm. and um, really, to answer your question, I mean, it would be multifaceted, but I would say in terms of the church, I think that there's a pragmatic streak. People want practical talks. They want, by which they mean a series of one, two, three steps mm-hmm. that are going to solve their marital problems or that they're going, that are going to help them raise their children, to get their financial house in order, you know, restore psychological health. Um, I think that people understand that they have a need for these practical talks. And so they're less interested in hearing about God. Ironically, I mean, yeah. how ironic, but right. yes, they're not so interested in God, more yeah. interested in things that are going to be helpful in living my life right now here in the present and not really understanding the relevance of an in-depth study of God. Yeah in connection with those immediate concerns that I have. It's the tyranny of the urgent. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's, it is so ironic because I think a lot of it too is we still want to be ethical people and, and good people. And we want to come here about being good people, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to hear about goodness himself sometimes. I mean, you know, goodness as an attribute of God is, you know, maybe that's one of the bigger challenges, even of our day, a big question that a lot of people are asking um, is God good. 
Yes, and if they really want to learn about the goodness of God, uh, Stephen Charnock has written a couple mm-hmm. hundred pages on it. It was <laughs> absolutely extraordinary, yes. phenomenal exposition of the goodness of God that is remarkable page after page after page. And his book, uh, The Existence and Attributes of God, is a treasure chest. Yes. It is a classic. Uh, there's really just nothing like it. And it's one of those works where you want to underline Mm-hmm. every other sentence in, mm-hmm. in the book. And he, in covering the attributes, he, he goes on for 1,100 pages. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, if you read it at, this, at the pace of three or four pages a day, which is what I recommend, mm-hmm. you will be astounded at the way he seems to avoid repeating himself. And yet, he takes us into such depths. Yeah. And it's all so illuminating and inspiring and challenging at the same time, so the irony is that that foundational to living life and the answers to the practical questions that we have, we all want resolved, really are answered by knowing God. It's by knowing God mm. that we really have the perspective from which to live life and, and answer the practical questions. Mm-hmm. So we've really got it wrong. We've got it completely reversed. Terry, would you say that uh, part of the, the pastor's task is to help those members of the congregation that he serves to understand just how, if you like practical uh, the doctrine of God is that, that that's one of the things we need to be demonstrating in our preaching that whether you came to this church for a, you know, some helpful tips for living or, or for biblical exposition, whatever you thought you were going to get, I'm going to show you in part from the exposition of the text, just how practical um, for lack of a better word, uh, knowing God is knowing what He's like. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that when I look at my own experience, I remember hearing a the, the message of R.C. Sproul on the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. When I heard that, I wanted to be holy. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't that he gave. Now here are the five steps right. yeah. to growing in holiness. That's not what he did. He yeah. talked about God. Such yeah. a good and point. When, by the time he was through with that sermon, um, I was overwhelmed by uh, just the magnitude of the meaning of God's holiness and what that would mean for me. And, and I wanted to be holy. Yeah. So I think that that's what I mean by practical impact. It's in the vision of God uh, and his holiness, his justice, his goodness, his mercy, his grace, that um, we are inspired, challenged, to pursue those things ourselves. Not so much in, uh, now here's the one, two, threes about how you right. go about doing that. Yeah, that's good. Do you think that comes down to a, a sort of loss of the idea of contemplation within Protestant piety? Yes, and that's why I'm saying that, you know, three pages of Sharnock hmm. is about the pace to do it. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Sharnock or George Swinnick's The Incomparableness of God or Richard Baxter, Baxter's A Divine Life or William Gurnall's Christian in Complete Armor. These are classic works that are virtually, uh, I experience them as though they were written by people from another planet. They mm-hmm. are so deep and so challenging and so inspiring and so illuminating and convicting all, all at once. And you just have to ponder them at about the pace of about three pages, yeah. four pages a day. In the course of that, you'll read a thousand pages in a year. Yeah. Yeah. So you can read a Sharnock, you can read a Gurnall, you, you can begin to work your way through the Puritan authors and the classics on the, on, on the spiritual life. But th- those works are full of God. 
that's why they're so inspiring. That's why they warm the heart. That's why they inspire the pursuit of God and holiness and godliness and, you know, all the things that we're meant to be in Christ. I'm really glad you brought up Charnock, and I, I figured you would, because it is, when I was at a Southern Baptist University, I had an evangelism professor tell me to, to buy um, that book, uh, Charnock's Existence and Attributes of God. And I'd never read a Puritan, never read anything like that. Oh, wow. But I, I ordered that book back in the late 80s um, as, a, as a college student. And to this day, it still routinely leaves my study and goes home with me to do what you just described, to read two or three pages in an evening. Mm-hmm. And it's so rich. And I do the same thing with um, a Christian's Reasonable Service, you know, a multiple volume set, but uh, just extraordinary. And just take three pages or so. Mm-hmm. in an evening and and i was going to say encourage our folks because we are going to be you know we are here because we we really appreciate your book put it by your nightstand or by your chair and and just read a few pages from terry's new book each evening you know if 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 charnock is is too challenging for you one of the values of terry's new book is that he takes he gives us those treasures exactly in there. Yeah. He, he takes guys like charnock and others and brings it a little bit closer to us, makes it a bit more accessible. First of all, pastors ought to get this book just to enrich their own preaching. But but I really would love for laypersons to get this book mm-hmm. and have it on their nightstand or have it next to their chair in their living room and just take it up each evening, read a few pages, and and you'll you'll really be enriched by it. I, I was going to ask you, Terry, just as you look at your own preaching ministry, I know at IPC, you know, you've, you're, you're very committed to preaching through books of the Bible. You will do some thematic uh, sermons every once in a while. I know on Sunday mornings, you're, you're very committed, for instance, to preach through the gospel accounts. You're very intentionally uh, evangelistic um, in, in many of those sermons. How do you, and I know you've preached, you know, series on the attributes of God, but how do you look for opportunities or, or do you look for opportunities to, to to bring in you know the doctrine of God to some of your preaching on a on a on a Sunday morning, for instance? Let's say you're preaching through the Gospel of Matthew, and I, and I know that part of it is well, you know, if the text brings me to that, but I wonder, you know, how intentional are you in, in looking for opportunities to incorporate meditation on the attributes of God just in the ordinary course of your preaching? Well, I think you've answered the question for me. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just, I, I just do as, as the opportunity presents itself in the text. Mm-hmm. And I think if there's some elaboration that's needed, if there's some characteristic of God that is in the text that isn't elaborated in the text, then I'll feel some responsibility to provide the background and the foundation for what's being said in the passage. Um, so I, I think I do it in that way. That's probably the way most of us um, do. This work was actually a series of sermons on the attributes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned a, a professor at a Baptist seminary. Yeah. Well, I, I got Sharnock while I was an undergraduate at the University of Southern California huh. because Earl Rodmacher, who was, I think at the time, the president of Western Conservative Baptist uh, up in Oregon. He recommended it to a group of students at a Campus Crusades conference. He said, if you, if you will, if you will uh, promise to read it, I will buy it for you. Huh. Wow. And uh, I didn't take him up on it then, but I got it later. Yeah. And then it sat on my shelf for years. But on the basis of the things that I've read just in the last few years, if I could do one thing over in the 30 years, 30 plus years of my adult ministry, it would be that I would incorporate in my devotional reading every morning 
three to four pages of the Puritans. I, I just started doing that about five years ago. And I, I just look back and I think, you know what? I just wish I had done that. I would have been able to work through many of the leading Puritan authors uh, just because it has been such a feast for my own soul that I, I, I just lament that I, I didn't start doing it sooner. And one of the things I hope about identity and attributes is just that it's going to expose people to some of these great works and, and yeah. you know, pique curiosity so they may go pick them up and, and read them themselves. Yeah. How is preaching on the attributes of God? And I think it was in 2013, you say in the book that you were yes. preparing to do that. And you were, <laughs> says you planned originally to do like a 10 10 sermon series on the attributes of God. And before yeah, you stopped, right. it grew into 82 sermons. <laughs> and so yeah. then, you know, that just made me think. And then as I began, you know, reading through the book, just how has preaching on the attributes of God impacted you as a pastor? Well, I keep using the words like inspiring, challenging, illuminating. It, uh, I, I think it's been the best thing for my own soul that I've ever done. And, you know, I say that as somebody who has preached, the foundation of my ministry has been to preach book by book. Right. And I've, I've uh, preached from Genesis through Job, and I've preached all of the New Testament except uh, Revelation and First and Second Corinthians. Mm. So I've, I've worked my way through a huge chunk of the Bible and I believe in that. And that's been the foundation for what I've done, but to go uh, topical on occasions uh, and uh, on this occasion, it was a very fruitful Mm -hmm. edifying thing for me personally. Do I hope it was for the congregation, but it certainly was for me. You know, we were just talking with um, Dr. Kevin Van Hooser about the importance of theology to discipleship. And I can only imagine like preaching through a series on the attributes of God, you know, just the impact of discipling that that has on your congregation. Yeah, yeah that's good. Well, you know, I think it grew into the 82 sermons because I would hit a, a particular aspect of a particular attribute. And I realized I cannot rush through this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to slow down and explain and do justice to the nuance. And so everything just slowed way down. And then I would start reading some more and I would say, okay, there's more here that I need to talk about. And the thing just, uh, it just grew and grew and grew. What I start out uh, trying to do was a 10 part series. And it was for the sake of the college students who were coming for the fall semester. And I was doing that because I had read knowing God as an undergraduate and it had, it was life changing for me. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it sent me uh, to Bristol to study with J.I. Packer. Wow. It made such an important impact. So I thought, well, you know, maybe this is a way to really make a life changing impact uh, on college students. So I mm-hmm. thought, okay, 10 parts. But it, you know, once I started into it, it just, I just said, you know what, this, I've got to do justice to these subjects and you just can't do it in 10, 30 minute sermons. Yeah. That's good. So it grew and grew and grew. And this uh, identity and attributes is only half of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping Banner of Truth will publish the other half. There'll be a second volume or somebody will. Excellent. Because I haven't even gotten yet to grace and mercy and patience Mm -hmm. and wisdom and truth and faithfulness and spirituality and fatherhood. And there's a host of other subjects that really need to be, you know, learn. We need to learn about as well. To ask a question that sort of presses on a somewhat, well, perennially controversial area, 
Terry. I remember nearly, it must be 20 years ago now, I was doing a little bit of academic work on on Charnock for a, an article I was writing. I remember I was chatting to a friend of mine who's a well-known Scottish systematic theologian. And uh, I mentioned I was working on Charnock, and he said, oh, yeah, Charnock believes in immutability and impassibility, doesn't he? And I said, sure. And my friend commented, he said, you cannot preach the gospel properly if you believe in immutability and impassibility. How would you respond to that? I would respond by saying that surely you are wrong about that, <laughs> because uh, that is what the, the ancient fathers of the church believed. Yeah. That is what the great medieval theologians believed. That's what the reformers believed. That's what the Puritans and the post-Reformation uh, Orthodox Protestants believed. And everybody that was Orthodox believed <laughs> until the 19th century. For reasons that remain a mystery to me, you had even the Princeton theologians drifting away from the classic historic orthodox doctrine of impassibility. Yep. And Carl, I'm counting on you to, to figure out why Hodge and Warfield and others um, compromise yeah. the historic yeah. doctrine. I, I think just to give a sort of 30 second answer, I think part of the problem is a major philosophical paradigm shift that takes place at the Enlightenment away from uh, traditional metaphysics mm -hmm. to a preoccupation with, with epistemology. That's not helpful for classical theism. And I also think the uh, an ignorance of what the fathers and the medievals taught and why they taught it sets in. Carl, in, ter in terms of, uh, of uh, what, what is um, inspiring and illuminating, I, I, I did a series of sermons in this series on the blessedness of God. Mm. And that casts an uh, entirely different light on the doctrine of impassibility. Mm. The, you know, in other words, is God happy mm. or is God just up there angry all the time? Cause there's all this sin going on. And so of course he's angry and wrathful about this, this the sin. So he must be in a pretty mis miserable state of, of mind. Mm. Whereas the cla classic theologians, to put it in the colloquial, said, you know, heaven's a happy place and God's a happy God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So he's, he's not a victim of our sin right. and, and therefore in a miserable condition because everything's going wrong. Yeah. So it was really the, the, the study of the blessedness of God that helped clarify some things for me. Mm, that's really but that's good. in volume two. <laughs> that's, volume that's, two. Right, that's right. So you're gonna have to buy volume two if you're listening. <laughs> and one of the things we've we've said on this program before, and I think Carl, you you brought it up one time, is is uh, you know the some of these the, these what are oftentimes you know seen as as the the the, the classical theism when we talk about simplicity and uh, immutability and impassibility. Uh, th again, this idea that these are kind of locked away in metaphysical mysteries, you know, that they, they don't really preach. And what's been really interesting is just from the, the pulpit in the church I serve when, when it's been appropriate to, to mention the doctrine of God's simplicity as, as a means to, to really um, comfort uh, my congregation in, in terms of God uh, loves you because he is love and, and, and God is good. Be, you know, he, he, he does what is good because he is good. And, be, and, and what we know about uh, God in terms of his uh, uh, attribute of simplicity is that um, he can't not be good. Um, uh, you know, he, he, he's never less good or more good. He can't not be good. And, and, and that's extremely good news for his people. 
um, that he does not change his disposition towards us um, because he doesn't change and, and, and he can't be something other than good because he is his essence. I think in those ways, we rob our people of, of among other things, comfort when we, when we don't take them into the depths of, of his attributes. Right, and because God is immutable, uh, his word doesn't change, his right. promises don't change, he's reliable, he's trustworthy, yeah. he's faithful. Um, I mean, yes, the incommunicable attributes have um, very important practical impact on everything that we believe. If God's not immutable, then you know, everything's up for grabs, including right. God. Right. Um, God doesn't uh, change for the better. Uh, he doesn't change for the worse. He's perfect. And uh, so change is not a part of, of God. We, we change because, um, you know, we can improve and we can, you know, we can decline. But God is already perfect, so he's not going to get any better. And because he's perfect, he's not going to get any worse. Right. Um, And that, that, so, you know, our faith is anchored in, in one sense, it's anchored in the immutable purposes and character and promises of God. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's our security. That's, uh, that's what we rely upon. And that's why we can live life uh, um, with confidence and assurance because God does not change. He's a rock in the midst of a, a mutable, changing, fickle world. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's there's a strong current in our therapeutic culture at the moment that that wants God to be empathetic. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the key thing, and I think classical theism sort of butts up against that, mm-hmm. goes against the grain on that front, which means that um, you know ultimately we don't need a God who's empathetic. We need a God who can deal with our problems. Certainly yeah. in Christ, God is sympathetic. Mm-hmm. We're told we have right. a sympathetic Right, right. I was just going to go to the incarnation uh, with that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. But uh, the, uh, the idea, you know, if I go to my doctor, I don't want, with cancer, I don't want my doctor saying, hey, don't worry, I got cancer too. I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> I want my doctor to say, I know exactly how to deal with the problem mm-hmm. you've got. Yeah. What would you say is, what do you think are, are some of the more challenging attributes to teach to our culture, even the evangelical culture today? Well, I think impassibility by far is the yeah. most difficult. Yeah. I think it's really hard to, to wrap your mind around, around that and understand its nuances. Yeah. Because I think immediately people say, I think they understand us to mean that God is um, without any feelings. Yeah. And he's cold and he's distant. distant. And, yeah. He's cold, like a rock. D- distant, aloof, yeah. uncaring. And, and I will admit, I, I think that that was the most difficult uh, part of what, of what I was dealing with in putting the book together yeah. was to deal with uh, impassibility. But, you know, these are also interrelated. Like you say, the simplicity of God means that these are not different parts of God. Right. They are, they are, the ways that we talk about them, but they are a unified whole. They are not parts. Mm-hmm. Right. God and is so, his attributes. You know, right. in, 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 immut- immutability and impassibility and simplicity and eternality, these all rise and fall together. If right. you, comp- mm-hmm. you compromise one of them, you end up losing them all logically. Right. And, and, and so that's the problem with some of the compromises of classical theism in our day is that people I don't think realize that there's kind of a domino effect that when you deny eternality or immutability or impassibility or simplicity, uh, the others fall with the one that's being challenged and denied. So I think a a right understanding of impassibility 
is important. Uh, though, though I do think in our day of a very um, emotion-driven thinking, I, I think that that's the one that's the most difficult for, for people to grasp and for us to explain. Yeah, mm. and we want, we want a God who's, who's very much like us. And, and certainly in his incarnation, uh, the Son comes and, and takes flesh and becomes like us in every way, as it were, except without sin, which is a big except, by the way. And, and in that way, Jesus is our sympathizing high priest. But, but you know, we, we understand that uh, uh, Jesus in his uh, human nature is uh, not identical with, um, uh, you know, the, the, the eternal son in terms of uh, how we understand him and, 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 and relate to him. And so the idea that God would be unchanging in terms of his uh, emotional makeup, that he's not given over to passions, that, that he's not acted upon by his creation so that it changes him and, and changes him to feel differently. That's hard for people to accept. And, and some of it is because of, of misreading of scripture, but I think a lot of it just has to do with some of our own romantic and, and, and sentimental notions of what we desire out of God. Right. And I think, the, 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 you know, the incarnation is necessary because God does not suffer. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, he, uh, you know, Christ suffers through his humanity. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that, uh, you know, again, you know, the principle of the incarnation is union without confusion. Yeah. You have the un- u- union of the human and the d- divine, but you don't mix the human and the, and the divine attributes. They are united, but they're not confused. And, you know, the writer of the Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 17, says he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful right. and faithful high priest. Uh, exactly. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You know, I think there's a very true sense in which the incarnation is is necessary if there's to be an atonement yes. of infinite worth, because God himself cannot die. God himself cannot suffer. Mm-hmm. It's in the union of the human and the divine, and through the human, you know, the divine adding infinite weight to the value of the suffering of Christ through his humanity that makes the atonement uh, for all humanity possible. Yeah, and, and we, we get into all kinds of grievous errors when we read uh, the realities of the incarnation back into the eternal Godhead and end up confusing uh, the God who is not like us with, with God in the flesh and, and Jesus. It, it, we confuse those properties, and, and so we end up making a lot of errors, and there's a lot of errors in contemporary theology over over that issue where we imagine that that the son is eternally subordinate uh, to the father based upon words that jesus spoke out of that human nature where he willingly humbled himself and took upon the, the form of a of a servant but but we end up confusing his his divine nature and his human nature and these things matter because it's important that we understand god in the light in which he has revealed himself yes and i i you know, my, my aim in this book is to be accessible and to stay within the classic tradition in doing so. You right. know, just mm-hmm. to reflect orthodoxy, the orthodox understanding of God, uh, and to make some of these difficult questions a- accessible. You know, I'm not a professional dogmatician. I'm not a professional theologian. But I, I think that uh, too many of these subjects have been neglected, and I think that's one reason why the evangelical world is so superficial today, yeah. so emotion-driven. And so entertainment uh, right. driven. Right. And when what we really need is just 
to know God. You know, Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Yeah. That's eternal life, to know God. Yeah. And so that's what we should pursue. We're in the pursuit of God, to know God, to enjoy his fellowship. That's really what the Christian life is all about. And to think that we are, that we're distracted by so many other things that are going on and, and neglecting the fundamental thing, the foundational thing for everything else is a tragic mistake, which I hope in some small way to help rectify. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, again, we, we are very much appreciative of the book, and, and I would just encourage folks uh, to get a copy of it, uh, The Identity and Attributes of God by, by, by Terry Johnson. It's published by Banner of Truth. And and it's one of those wonderful uh, hardbound volumes from Banner of Truth. That means, and if and if you have any hardbound volumes from Banner of Truth, you know that that's a good thing. They they make a well constructed book, and and I would just encourage folks if put a hold on the next kind of you know how to make my marriage better or how to make my kids better kind of Christian book, and and get a book like this, um, get this book on 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 the attributes of God, and and just uh, you know see how actually you know for lack of a better word how practical this is for your life. And um, if you'll uh, if you'll head over to our to our website mortificationofspin.org, um, you will see that we're going to be giving away a few copies of uh, Pastor Johnson's book, and so uh, enter to win uh, one of the copies of of the Identity and Attributes of God. And while you're there, we are a listener supported podcast, and if you'd like to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, uh, so they can continue to provide content like this, that would be much appreciated. The good news is the first printing has sold out. Oh, nice! And yes, so well, that's, that's very, very encouraging. Yeah. And and uh, they're they've um, they've already started working on the second printing. So there may be there may be some lag time for some people if gotcha. they're trying to get copies. So okay, we that's have good the to know. First printing copies We've got the first in our printing. hands. Absolutely, <laughs> that's good. Buddy. That's good. Okay, first so it, edition. Yeah. So if you, <laughs> if you get if you go online to order it for for some reason and it's a lag time, that's that's because. People have bought the first uh, printing of it, and that's uh, that's a good thing. So we're yeah. happy about that. Again, pastors, get this because it, it'll help enrich your preaching and, and be a blessing to you. Um, uh, non-pastors, get this book and put it on your nightstand or put it by your chair in, in the living room and, and read some of it each evening or, or in the morning before you go off to work. Um, it'll be enriching for you. It'll be encouraging for you. And Terry Johnson, thanks so much for uh, joining us again on Mortification of Spin today. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. And for Carl Truman and Amy Bird, this is Todd Pruitt signing off, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about When I think of Reformed, by adhering to to those 16th, 17th century confessions, I'm also thinking of traditions of Christianity that connect themselves back to the early church. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. I think the Reformed church has a Catholicity to it, Mm -hmm. that it self-consciously connects. That interview is next time. Join us then.
You know, Matt has been my strike fit partner some lately now that softball's over. And my brother was teaching us. We were doing a kickboxing class. And the whole, um, the whole thing we were supposed to do with each other was first he had us doing this jab and we were working on that and then he had us using the jab as a fake out to really then do a kick but your partner knew the jab was a fake out so they were supposed to block it obviously Mm -hmm. while we were doing it well somehow Matt forgot or I was so good at the fake out so Mm -hmm. I clocked him right in the face and and she laughs about it she laughs wow you know, if a I man did that to a woman, exactly, it would be exactly, exactly. Charges would be filed. Oh, but no, we can laugh about it when the man is hurt. It was really. It's just really hard for me to talk about.